Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. Thirty-two days ago, we marked the sign of our mortality on our foreheads with a cross on Ash Wednesday. Thirty-two days ago, we were invited to an observance of a holy Lent. There's a very handy glossary of terms that we use frequently in the Episcopal Church, and it's kept on the National Church's website. And looking up Lent this week, I learned that originally Lent was just a couple of days of fasting after the Easter celebration. In the third century, it became six days. A little later, it became 40, and it moved forward. And it was a period to remember Jesus' time of fasting and testing in the wilderness. This was important both for the formation of converts to the faith who were preparing for baptism and for those guilty of notorious sins who were being restored to the Christian assembly. In the Western Church, we removed Sundays from the 40 days so that we could nourish ourselves with a little of what we were fasting from, and then Lent began on Ash Wednesday. We have been praying a different confession, moved to the beginning of our service instead of its typical place just before the Eucharist, as we ponder the role of sin in our world and in our lives on the way through this Easter season. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it has been a long Lent, and it has seemed like two years, and trails of it stream back through the years of COVID, remembering what we have lost and what we have given up along the way. In the company of many others on social media last year, I uttered these same words, this is the lentiest Lent I have ever Lented. Next week is Palm Sunday, and while we are still in the season of Lent, we're getting closer to the end. We get to celebrate with little palms next week and remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem but then we do get a little somber again. And I don't know about you, but I am ready for Easter. I am ready for the Scripture readings about the resurrection after the Passion. I'm ready to sing some joyful hymns in the later services on Easter Day. And I'm ready to have this season of self-examination, penitence, and fasting over, if I do say so myself. Or maybe, as I pondered, as I read this week's readings, maybe what I'm ready to be done with is learning the lessons of our long Lent, including what is available to us in this story about Jesus, Mary, and Judas this week. Today's gospel story is full of tensions. Mary does not just pour enough oil onto Jesus' feet, but she breaks open a beautiful alabaster jar, unable to save even a few drops. Oil is meant for anointing a body at burial, and it's worth almost a year's wages. 
It is a loving and extravagant and generous gesture, and yet I struggle with its practicality. Judas suggests the oil should have been sold and given to the poor, which would reap a beneficial harvest for those in need, but it was an idea sown in self-interest as we learn that he would take some of the money for himself. As for Jesus, he has finally gone and done it. He has pushed the Pharisees too far. He has raised Lazarus from the dead and declared himself the resurrection and the life. If the Pharisees do not stop Jesus now, he will upend their religious systems and they will be left without their structural power and their influence. As one of my New Testament textbooks says, the switch has been flipped here. Nothing can now go back to the way that it had been. The road for Jesus now leads to Jerusalem and the cross. The plan to kill Jesus and Lazarus now, it's to invalidate the miracle of the resurrection and to protect their position. So as Jesus sits down in Bethany to dinner with his friends, two miles away in Jerusalem, others plot his death. Knowing how all this is going to end makes it hard for us to see how the moments in this story would have been for the characters in it. We know that in a short week from this story, Jesus will hang on a cross, but three days later rise in resurrection. And although Lazarus' resurrection might have served as a foreshadowing, it's not fair to ask these characters to have realized that. Mary would not have known that Jesus didn't need this fragrant oil to cover up the stench of a deteriorating body because he rose from the dead. Judas and the other disciples did not know how much longer they had Jesus for. And the religious leaders would not know that their plan would somehow miraculously usher in the restoration of God's people to God's self. So how would these tensions resolve? Well, Mary is the model for human discipleship in this story. Her extravagant act imitates Jesus' upcoming act. Her anointing of Jesus looks back in thanks for the resurrection of her brother Lazarus and forward to Jesus' death on the cross. Her care for his body, the church, should inspire us to generously give the healing oil of forgiveness and compassion to those around us. Her love is generous. She is a faithful disciple by what she does, not by what she says. But Judas, on the other hand, is a complicated disciple. He is a disciple only through what he says and not by what he does. He is a less than faithful thief. And although the idea he puts forward is a good one, what looks on the surface like noble intention is secretly corrupted by self-interest. In the tension between honoring Jesus like Mary has done and in helping the poor as well as himself, Judas chooses a discipleship that embraces Jesus, but for the sake 
of something else. The story of Judas acting for a greater good while actually serving a personal interest is convicting for me. How tempting is it for me to have my own interests in mind? Systemic forces create protective environments of privileges for some instead of blowing open the doors of peace and inclusion in this extravagant display of love where all are welcome. What would happen to me if I abandoned my practicality, my efficiency, my sense of duty, let alone my self-interest, and reflected this genuine discipleship that Mary shows us? What would it look like in me if my love for Jesus was so passionate that it looked reckless and ill-advised? Here's this tension between just wanting to get to the destination and exploring the full breadth of what we can learn along the way. There's challenge in recognizing our Judas tendencies of focusing on our institutional and personal interests to the exclusion of God's expansive work of love in the world. Lent has been a time of inward reflection, and today we reflect on Judas and Mary. It is not so much that we decide which one we're going to be. I am a paradoxical combination of both. I am somewhere strung on a line of tension stretched between the two, moving back and forth as I figure out this life of following Jesus. I can trap myself into thinking that there are only either-or solutions when the reality is the Holy Spirit can empower us to see a bigger vision of what God is doing. We are a people in progress in Lent, and God has put things in motion. There is no going back. We are somewhere in process between Judas and Mary. We will walk through Holy Week with Jesus as we see him parade into Jerusalem under palms and chants of Hosanna in the highest. He will return to Jerusalem to cleanse the temple, return to speak to his disciples about the end of the age and the Mount of Olives. He will share the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday, and be arrested. Each night, from the story in our gospel telling today, through the time that, Judas, uh, that Jesus is arrested, he retreats each day back to the town of Bethany, to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Maybe it was his favorite place. Presumably, he's with his disciples, and he enjoys rest and the company of his imperfect band of friends and followers who are unable to fully understand the journey that he is on. Our story began today with the words, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. This is the Passover where Jesus will become the Passover lamb. Jesus' display of extravagant love is ours to observe and to emulate. And we are the joyful band of friends and followers trying to figure out what Jesus is up to while we go out into the world to live God's love.
Amen.